Well, thank you for that song. Certainly fitting, uh, considering our subject uh, for this morning. Welcome to all of you. Uh, Thank you for being here. Your pastor has doubts. But before you get up and leave, or call a special board meeting, hear me out. In reality, so do each of you. Every believer in Jesus Christ has or will experience doubt. You don't believe me? Think about John the Baptist for a moment with me this morning. Here was the one that was the forerunner of the Messiah. He preached a baptism of repentance and people were coming out in droves to hear him. He was ultimately arrested and thrown in jail. And in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 2, he sent word to Jesus through one of his disciples and said, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? This is John who saw the heavens open and the spirit like a dove descend on Christ and the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son, with him I am well pleased. This is the same John who said uh, of his own mouth that when he saw this happen, John chapter 1, verses 32 to 34, this indeed is the Son of God. This is the same John who Jesus said of those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater, Matthew 11 and verse 11. So if this man, John, experienced doubt, I am certain that all of us in our Christian walk have or will have or are maybe experiencing it now. Doubt, if it lingers and goes unchecked, can grow like weeds in a garden. And doubt can choke out the Word of God so that it becomes unfruitful uh, in our lives. Our current series, uh, Pulling Weeds and Removing Rocks, addresses uh, not only doubt this morning, but all those things which hinder our spiritual growth and maturity and fruitfulness in Jesus Christ. Uh, After all, we're uh, in a year uh, of growing in Christ, uh, and uh, we currently want to cultivate our hearts so that, that, that those things that can become encumbrances, those things that impede that growth, that we deal with it before God in light of His Word and the power of the Holy Spirit so that we will indeed mature and become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at the, just the term doubt for a moment, if you would. What is doubt? Well, there are several words that are used uh, throughout the, the scriptures, particularly in the New Testament. Uh, the one that's used, that we translate doubt uh, the most, is a word called, uh, that's distazo. And it's a compound word, which means uh, double 
and standing. Uh, what it means by that is it's, it's, it's standing in two different ways. Uh, it's, it's a word that, that is a communicating uh, an uncertainty as to which way to take. Um, it has inherent within it the idea of uh, a hesitation uh, or wavering uh, in faith. One of our texts this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14 and verse 31, where, where Peter was walking on the water coming to Jesus, and as you know, he, he, he looked at the wind and the waves and the circumstances, and he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me! And the Lord immediately reached out his hand and rescued Peter before he drowned, and he says, why do you doubt? Why are you wavering? Why are you hesitant? Why, why are you uncertain? Uh, and we'll look at that uh, in another context here in a moment. Um, instead of settled confidence and trust, doubt is a lack of trust uh, that, that is uh, being expressed. But let me uh, be clear with us here this morning that doubt is not the same as unbelief. They are, they are two different things. Unbelief is willful. It is the refusal to accept and embrace the truth, to, to embrace the facts, to accept the facts, even when the evidence is sure, and it's airtight, and it's irrefutable. It's, it's a refusal, unbelief, to accept the truth. Interesting, uh, one of the authors uh, Bible Dictionary says that the doubter would like to believe God, but cannot quite bring himself to trust God's word unequivocally. Such weak faith needs encouragement to become stronger. That's doubt. But by way of contrast, unbelief uh, is insubordinate questioning of God's word. It is an unwillingness to be convinced by the evidence. It is willful immorality. It is outright rejection of what is true. Interestingly, Hebrews chapter 11 tells us a definition uh, of faith, the positive. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the things that are unseen, and yet we are confident that they are true, that they are real, that they are there. That is a, that is a definition of, of faith. And faith, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says, has God as its object. See, it's not just... It's not just uh, faith in your faith, or faith in yourself, or faith in something else. It is faith in God. And, and the writer to Hebrews says in Hebrews 11 and verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You want to be pleasing to God? He expects from you, from me, from the world at large, faith in Him. And notice what faith does. It comes to God believing that he is, that he exists, 
A lot of people say, well, I believe that there's a God. Well, that's only part of it, because the writer goes on to say, and that he rewards those who earnestly, who diligently seek him, to know him. The recognition of God, or a God being there, or even the true God being there, is not enough. Faith will, will compel you to seek out God, to know him, to want to know him, to want to know all about him. When we were in the airport uh, leaving on our journey this week, there was a girl sitting across from us waiting to board the plane as well, and she was uh, wrapping some things up, and she was wrapping them in a sweatshirt. And I happened to notice as she's wrapping up the sweatshirt that it said, Believe! And I thought, that's interesting. Believe what? Well, the T-shirt she had on said, Go jump in a lake. Okay, so you want me to believe that I should jump in a lake and hopefully not drown. <laughs> but it's not just belief in this, well, I believe. A lot of people say, well, I have faith. I believe. I believe. Believe what? You and I are called by God through his word to believe in his word and to believe in Jesus Christ. Faith, biblical faith, genuine faith has an object. And it's nothing else but God himself and what God has revealed to us in his word. But what, what about doubt, though? What is the root of doubt? All these terms, this idea of, of gardening and growing, all these words have come to mind. What, what, we say, what is the root cause of something? You know? Uh, what, what, what does doubt stem up from? What does it crop up from? What are some of the things that, 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 that helps to feed doubt, even in believers? Well, the first thing that I, comes to my mind is my own mind, my own heart. Just as unbelief comes to all of us naturally, because that's the natural state that we're in, unbelief, so does doubt. The natural response of man, apart from Jesus Christ, is to doubt. It's to be unbelieving. It's to reject God. That's our natural state. That's why God, in his mercy and grace, has to transform us. Has to give us regeneration and make us spiritually alive so that we now realize that we need a Savior in Jesus Christ. See, it comes from my own uh, nature. Just as unbelief comes from my nature, so does doubt. It questions the facts. It questions the word of God. And after all, that goes all the way back to the garden, does it not? You know where sin entered this world and into the human race? It started with a question. Not a legitimate question, but a question posed in such a way so as to create doubt. Did God really say? Isn't it interesting that even to this very day, people who read the scriptures in black and white will say, did God really say? That might be what it says, but I don't believe that's what it means. That's doubt. 
That's a refusal to accept what the Word of God clearly states. And as we learned in that conference this week, the sufficiency of Scripture, the final authority is the Word of God. Not the public opinion, not the current culture, not, not what, what collectively the majority says is true concerning this subject or that topic. What does God say? And my opinion doesn't count. Neither does yours. You've probably seen the bumper, bumper sticker that says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. You know what? Take out that middle part. God said it, that settles it. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. God wants you to believe it and receive it, but your opinion and mine don't matter. The Word of God is the final authority. And sometimes doubt stems because the, the things that come up in my own nature that, that cause me to question the Word of God. But secondly, my lack of knowledge. How sad is it that the more they survey evangelical Christians in America, people who say they believe that the Bible is the Word of God, that statistically the things that you and I hold as foundational truth of the teaching of God's Word, people say, he wasn't virgin born. He never arose literally and bodily from the dead. He's not coming back again. Wait a minute. What Bible are you reading? Well, the problem is they're not reading it. It's a lack of knowledge of what God has really said. It's a lack of even a knowledge of God himself. See, when we want to understand who God is, we don't come to the scriptures and say, this is what I think God is like, and then look for the verse to support it. It's the other way around. We are, we are to say, open my eyes, Lord, that I may behold wonderful things, wondrous things from your law, and Lord, reveal yourself to me in what you've written in your book. And allow God's word to speak for himself. Allow God to speak for himself, for who he is. Not my imagination, not my thoughts, not my opinions of what I think God is like. Right there is the wrong question. I think Tozer even said that in one of his books. The minute you say, what is God like, you've already missed the mark. Because God is not like anything that is in this world. He's other, he's holy, he's separate. And he must reveal himself to us. And he has. He's left his fingerprints all over creation so that you will wonder and you'll seek him out, but he's also given you his word so that you might know him personally and individually and be saved. What else causes doubt? Well, I think sometimes issues can cause doubt. And what I mean by that? What do I mean by that? Well, different things that, that crop up in our thinking, because we are rational thinking people, and, and faith is not, by the way, shifting your brain and your heart into neutral. No, God gave you a mind. God gave you the ability to reason and to think, and that's part of what God uses in, in connection with his word to teach you, to instruct you, to bring you to himself. Faith is not blind. Faith is based in fact and in reality and in truth. But sometimes, even as believing people, there are issues that, 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 that are 
good issues to think about, to ponder, to, to want to know from the Word of God, but yet they, they, they trouble us. They, they, they instill within us and, and sort of crop up in us a doubt. Here's one example. Great theological truth, both taught in Scripture, the election of God and the free will of man. Have you figured that one out yet? If you have, talk to me afterwards because I need help. Do you ever struggle with that? Come on, let's be honest here this morning. Do you struggle with that? Does it sometimes engender in you some doubt? I remember there was a man at a previous church. He's now with the Lord. He had this, he, he never specified it. He always danced around it, and I tried to, my best to, to draw it out of him. We used to go out for coffee. He was retired uh, colonel. Um, he was a, a superintendent of the schools, very educated man. He even worked as an investigator for the FBI. We'd go out for coffee, and he, he always had this question about prayer. Why, why doesn't God answer well, yes, give me some more information. And I constantly tried to draw it out of him. And he had this, this sort of hang-up about why God doesn't answer prayer maybe in a particular way. And I could tell that he was struggling with that. He never got into the specifics, so I really couldn't counsel him even remotely. Maybe now that he's in glory, his question is answered. But, but it, was a, it was a matter of prayer that, that, that he brought up Frequently, it's an issue that, that can stimulate within us a, a, a doubt. You know, some people even do that when they read the Bible and open it up into the first pages and read about how God created this world and did so uh, eknilo, out of nothing, uh, by fiat, by his very word. And they say, you know, I, I would... I would, I would tend to believe in a, an intelligent creator or a design or even the God of Scripture. If I just had some more information, what more do you need? But doubt, positively speaking, should compel us to seek after God. See, there's a positive aspect of that, that when we're facing our doubts, we don't just sort of stew in that and remain there because if we're not careful, doubt can grow into unbelief where we reject the truth, we reject God, we reject His revelation. And, and doubt, like a weed, you know, will we'll we'll reproduce in our lives and it will start to choke out good fruit. It's, it's kind of like uh, we have a raised bed garden and last year it was just nothing came up. Maybe it was too dry. The year before that, though, it was fairly decent. But the problem was, my wife planted some marigolds uh, around the, the garden because supposedly marigolds are supposed to sort of keep out, you know, certain critters that like to help themselves. Well, lo and behold, by the end of summer, the raised bed garden was pretty much all marigolds. And, and like the, the weed of doubt, marigolds aren't, doubt. So, but like, the, like the, the weed of doubt, it, if you're not careful, doubt can just start to permeate your whole life. 
And so what, is, what does doubt cause in our lives? Well, number one, it, it, it brings about an inability to trust God. An inability to trust God. You know, if you didn't have faith that your doctor who prescribes this antibiotic to help you to get over your, your chest cold or your bronchitis, you doubt that it's going to work, you're not going to take it. If you doubt God, you're not going to trust him. Secondly, doubt becomes an interruption in my fellowship and walk with God. It becomes an interruption in my fellowship and walk with God. I can't enjoy walking with God and talking with God and being with God and seeking God because these doubts are lingering over my head and they're in my heart. They're an interruption to that. You know, Matthew chapter 14, uh, one of the passages I trust that you looked at it prior to our coming together. By the way, the bulletin and the, those things are sent out to us weekly ahead of time so that you know what uh, it will be part of the worship for Sunday morning and even suggested passages to read. But here is Peter in the context uh, coming to Jesus, getting out of the boat and walking uh, on the water. And again, Peter comes at the word of Jesus. What did he have to go on? His own ability? Have any of you walked on water? Show of hands here this morning. Nobody. You know, I saw this video clip, by the way, on a side note, uh, uh, supposedly of people walking on water. But what they don't tell you is that there's these little thin papers or whatever that are floating on top of the water. And somehow in the law of physics, because of how fast they're going, they don't break the, they don't break the plane of the water so they don't sink. Now, that's a, that's a trick. This was no trick. This was in the middle of a storm. The, the wind is, is blowing. The waves are high. And I can just imagine that boat going up and down and up and down. And you're probably getting seasick, so I'll stop. And Jesus is walking on the water. And, he's, and they think it's a ghost and they cry out. And they say, and Peter, because he's Peter and likes to talk and is always the first one, you know, said, if it's, if, if it's you, Lord, if that's really you, let me get out of the water. And Jesus says one word, come. Now let me ask you, ask myself, do, do you have the faith to get out of the boat? Someone wrote a book one time, if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. So Peter's walking on the water. Peter is walking, don't, don't miss that. See, we jump ahead to him sinking, which is where all of us can identify. But Peter walked on water. But you see, he took his eyes off of Christ, he started to question the word who, of the Lord who said, come. And he looked at the things that were around him, and then he began to sink. How fast do you sink in water normally? Dive into a pool, you go right down. If you can't swim, you go down like a rock, like me. Right down to the bottom. But it, the scripture says he was beginning to sink, which uh, suggests to me that he was going down slowly. And he could cry out, Lord, save me. And the Lord didn't say, Peter, you should have had more faith. 
See you on the other side. (laughs) He immediately reached out his hand and lifted him up. Then when he get in the boat, he says, you of little faith. See, it's not that he didn't have faith at all. That would be unbelief. He had faith, but it wavered. It hesitated. It started to, to look around and started, started to be shaken because of the storm, the circumstances, the things around him. And that's one of the things that stimulates doubt within us. We don't see presently God working in mighty ways to bring this world to repentance. We're not seeing a worldwide revival. And we wonder, we doubt whether God still would do that. He creates an instability. It's an interruption in our walk with God. It's an inability to trust God. The instability part, let me have you turn to James for a moment. Notice this. This is written to believers, by the way. This is not written to the unbelieving world, to the skeptic, to the agnostic, to the person who's sitting in their ivory tower looking down on the word of God and saying, prove it to me. These are for redeemed people, these words. Isn't it interesting that it comes in the context of struggle, suffering, uncertainty, even pain. And James says here, persevere, verse 4. Continue on, so, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, even the storms that are a part of our earthly journey and experience are, are tools in the hands of the Lord to mature us. And notice this, he says, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to, to all without finding fault, and it will be given him. You, you want to have insight into the situation you're struggling with, go to God and ask him for wisdom. But James says here, when we do that, we must go, verse 6, to him in prayer and ask and believe and not doubt. Not doubt what? Number one, that God's going to respond. Number two, that he's going to give me insight into my current situation and circumstance. Number three, that coming out on the other side of it, I will still be trusting God. And Notice what he says here. We're to believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts, notice this, is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. There's an instability that takes place. There's an uncertainty and you're just rocking around in the boat and you think you're going to perish. And if doubt continues to be the, 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 the place from which we operate, verse 7, that man should not think that he should receive anything from the Lord because he is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Do you see how, how doubt can start to permeate everything and affect everything in your life so that you become unstable? You know, doubt disrupts the believer's peace with God And it creates a hesitation and a wavering. For the sake of time, I won't turn there, but I'll just give you the reference. Judges chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. 
one of the judges that God called during that time of anarchy in Israel was a man by the name of Gideon. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, Almighty warrior, and hails him. And you know what some of the first questions that, that Gideon has for this angel? If God is with us, why is this so? Would you, would you agree with me that maybe there was some doubt going on in Gideon's mind? And the Lord says to, to Gideon, you go and deliver Israel in your strength, and I'm going to be with you. God promises Gideon the ability and the victory. And Gideon does some of the things that God asks of him and is, is starting to be recognized as a judge, a leader in Israel. And God tells him about uh, another battle he's to, to fight with their enemies. And of course, we know the account in Judges 6, 20 to 24, <clears throat> where Gideon asks for a fleece. Why did he need that? He asked God initially for a sign that he was God's chosen man in that context, and he prepares a, a, a meal, a sacrifice, and the angel of the Lord touches the, the, the offering, uh, and it, it, it just is consumed in a flame, and the angel goes up. Now, if you and I had an experience like that, no doubt we would have some confidence built within us. But after that was when he asked for the fleece. Well, wait a minute. How many, how many signs do you need? Isn't the word of God sufficient? Isn't what God said enough? Well, God in his mercy condescended to Gideon, and he ended up becoming victorious. And as I said, if we're not careful, doubt can result in unbelief. The writer of the Hebrews says in chapters uh, 2, verses 1 through 4, that we are to uh, take into account what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. It's kind of interesting that if you go on to chapter 3 of Hebrews, the writer there talks about the danger of drifting, leading to doubting, leading to unbelief. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12 says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. See, drifting in our spiritual life. We, we never coast in the spiritual life. Because you know where we're going to coast? We're going to coast downhill, away from God. And if we drift away, the writer of the Hebrews says, be careful because it can become unbelief. And in between that, drifting away and unbelief is doubt. Let me ask you this question. Are any of these seeds producing the weeds of doubt in you this morning? Are you doubting God? Doubting his word, doubting your salvation, doubting your purpose in life. I have here in my notes that if we're left to ourselves, we'll go to seed. All of us will. Doubt will become unbelief and it will produce problems of all kinds of things in our lives.
So what are we to do? How are we to uproot doubt? Now, the main part of my message. No. No, here's, here's some things that we can do to address doubt in us. Number one, believe what God has said in his word. That, that almost seems counterintuitive to us, doesn't it? Here I am doubting, and you're saying believe. But there's a lot of things like that in Scripture. If you want to be first, Jesus says, you have to be last. You want to be great and a leader? Become a servant. You want to address doubt in your heart? Believe God and what he has said in his word. If there's nothing else or principle you ever learn in your Christian walk, it's that. Take God at what he says in his word. Believe it. Maybe that's where the I believe it comes in. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. But you have to believe. You know, uh, Romans chapter 4, Abraham is a perfect example of this. Abraham. Romans chapter 4, look with me at verse 17. The Lord is speaking, and Paul is recounting these words that the Lord spoke to Abraham. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed. And what did he believe? He believed in God, and he believed that God gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. What are you talking about in the context? Well, God said to Abraham, and he said to Sarah, you're going to have a son, an heir, not through, through Hagar, your own attempt, but Sarah, your wife, who's 90 years old, is going to have a child. And I don't care what modern science can do today, where there are ladies who are in their 60s and I think close to 70 having a child. They do that with medical wonders. This is before any possible medical wonder. This is a miracle. A woman at 90 years of age having a child. And notice this. Verse 18 says, think about that in the natural for a moment. The natural would say, this is impossible. This cannot happen. Oh, I believe God can do it. He just won't. See, that's doubt. But that wasn't Abraham. Notice what it says here. Against all hope, Abraham hoped, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it was said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now notice how Paul goes on to describe the faith of this man Abraham. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. He didn't say that, that this is possible if we just sort of manipulate the current facts. He knew the facts. From a human standpoint, this is impossible. However, verse 20, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Notice this, verse 21, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. 
what he says he will do. And Abraham believed that with all his heart. But he didn't have any evidence. He didn't have any proof. He didn't have an experience. All he had was the bare bones of the word of God to go on. And he believed what God said in his heart. How about you? Are you believing what God has said in his word? This, this brings up the second point. Keep the word of God before you. You've got to keep the word of God before you. How many people have said when they, when they come and they're struggling in their walk with God, you ask them the question, are you spending time with the Lord in his word? Well, not so much. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, no. Well, no wonder why you're in a mess. You're not staying connected with God through his word. You have to keep the word of God before you. If you're to, to believe the word, you've got to know the word. And to know the word, you've got to spend time in the word. And if all the word that you get is Sunday morning from this preacher in this pulpit, you need help. And I will help you. And our elders will help you. And others will help you in this congregation to get you daily into the word of God. You say, daily? Oh, I don't have time for that. Don't give me that excuse. Oh, no. When they tell us that people binge watch stuff on Netflix. You can sit there for three or four hours and watch show after show after show after show, but yet I don't have time to be with God. Where's our heart? The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 119, verse 47. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I put my hope in your word. I get up early so I can seek you, Lord, in your word. And notice this, verse 48, it doesn't end with just beginning his day with God. Verse 48, he says, My eyes stay open through the watches of a night, the night that I may meditate on your promises. Think about that for a moment. My day begins with God, it ends with God, and all in between, I'm thinking about the things of God. And that brings up the third point. Repeat the promises of God. Repeat the promises of God. Not only believe what God has said in his word, not only keep the word of God before you, but, but repeat the promises of God. Memorize his word. So that you don't have to necessarily go to, to your Bible and pull it out or open your app to try and find out what did God say concerning this. It's in your heart. And the scripture tells us that your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not, what? Sin against you. The Word of God is effective. It's powerful. It gives you the, the ability to say no when you look to Him in faith. And that brings up the next point. Practice the truth. Practice the truth. Don't just say you believe it and be convinced even in your own heart and mind, but put it into practice. Because what you believe is what you will live out. What you and I believe is what we will live out. What is on the inside is going to come out. If we really believe God, and we're really dependent upon Him, therefore this is what it'll look like. What does it look like? It looks like maturity in Jesus Christ. That we're talking about here in this series. And then lastly, if I might say, 
and certainly it's not last, but pray with humble expectation. Pray with humble expectation. You know, when you and I come before the Lord and we're struggling, when we have our doubts, we can bring those to the Lord in prayer. As we saw in James, that God does not chastise us for for wanting wisdom or insight or help. He delights when we come to Him. But when we come to Him, we have to come with an expectancy that when I pray, God, you not only hear me, but you will answer. And my humility is such that I'm willing to accept the answer that you give me. If I can't figure out in my limited human understanding, and I never will, election and free will, for example, where I have struggled for years, and I've read all that I can read, I've left it in God's sovereign hands. And I said, Lord, just help me to respond to you the way you want every person to respond to you in faith, in trust, in confidence. And where my mind is limited, where it is weak, where I cannot comprehend these things, Lord, that calls for faith. Because you and I walk by faith and not by sight. So pray with humble expectation. One last passage, if you would indulge me just for a moment. Mark chapter 11. In fact, I read this uh, during our conference this week in my daily readings. It says here in verse 20 of Mark chapter 11 that in the morning as they went along the way, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Remember, Jesus cursed the fig tree prior to this because there was no fruit on it. That's a whole other story in itself. But Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Now, this interesting response that Jesus gives to Peter's pointing this out to him. Have faith in God. Verse 23, I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Now notice this. Therefore, I tell you, whenever you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now, Let me just make it very clear. This does not support any teaching at all of name it and claim it. But it is an assurance, a reassurance, a confidence that when you pray, God will answer you specifically. And if your mountain symbolically is doubt, God will help you to deal with your doubts or whatever your mountain or issue might be. God will not forsake you. He will help you. He will direct you. He will guide you. He will respond to you. And He will give you the answer that you need. Just as Scripture says, if you as an evil father give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give what is good to those who ask Him? And if you're still struggling, maybe you're like me. You need to go back to Mark chapter 9 and verse 24. Final verse I share. And make this your prayer from your heart. 
Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for this time together in your word. I know I brought uh, to us a lot to digest, to ponder, to meditate upon, to respond to. And I trust that the Holy Spirit will use what we have considered today from your word, from my lips, that, O Lord, you would deal with each of our hearts and the struggles that we have. And, Lord, where there are doubts, may we, O Lord, receive mercy from you, grace from you, encouragement and and gentle persuasion from the Holy Spirit so that our doubts will not linger or remain, or even spread, but that we would come to a place of greater and deeper faith. And Lord, even when there are question marks, that we could leave those in your hands and trust you. So help us, Father, to do that, that we might grow in our faith, and that the weeds of doubt will be removed by your word being applied in the power of your spirit. And Lord, we'll give you thanks and praise. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.